Hey, I'm Pastor Joel, and just want to say thank you for downloading or streaming this message today. My prayer for you is that you're blessed by the content that you hear. As a church, our desire is to make disciples of Jesus, and we do that by helping people to trust and follow Him in every aspect of their daily life. So if this is something that blesses you, we just hope that you'll feel free to share this with others so that they might be encouraged and challenged by it as well. So glad to have you to be a part of this service. I'm excited because today we get to do something that we have not done uh, since the quarantine hit back in March. Actually, we didn't do it since January 12th. Uh, we're going to be participating in communion today or the Lord's Supper. And so it's been an extended, prolonged period of time since we've had the joy to be able to share in that together. And, uh, and we're thankful for the opportunity to do that. If you are watching from home this morning, I want to talk to you just for a minute. Uh, at the end of our service today, from 1230 to 130, we're going to be offering a drive-up communion service. So if you want to make plans after this service is over to come to the church under our covered awning, we'll give you some more instructions about that at the end. But we hope you'll start to make plans even now to join us this afternoon. Uh, well, there are two ordinances or sacraments that we as Christ followers observe continually, uh, things that help to, to boost our faith, to encourage us, to strengthen us to show uh, outwardly to the world that we are followers of Christ and inwardly to do some things that help us just be encouraged, nourished, strengthened in our faith. And those two things are baptism and communion. And so when you think about baptism, that's an ordinance or a sacrament that we uh, experience one time, that when you give your life to Christ, when you follow him in faith, when you trust in Jesus to forgive you of your sins, to ask him to cleanse you of your sins, then we ask people to be baptized. We encourage people to be baptized. It's a scriptural idea that when you come into faith in Christ, you enter into the waters of baptism. And that's a one-time thing. You don't have to be baptized over and over again. You don't have to be saved over and over again. Once you have asked for cleansing from your sin, once you have sought God's forgiveness and his spirit enters into your life, then you're saved. You're a child of God. And so that act of baptism is a way for us to do a couple of things. Number one, it publicly demonstrates to the world and to fellow believers that we are not ashamed or embarrassed of our new faith in Jesus Christ. It's a way for us to, to represent a living faith that we want to, the world to know that we're unashamed of following after our Savior. And then two, the second reason that we do that is that we believe in baptism. We proclaim that Christ has put our sinful nature to death and then in the act of baptism, we're buried with Christ, submerged in the water like Christ was buried in his tomb. We're dying to our old way of life, and we're raised to walk in new life. So through baptism, we see ourselves becoming a new creation, that it represents and shows that the old has been washed away and that the new has come. We are creations in Christ, set now to walk with him, not perfectly, but for the rest of our lives. Uh, it's pursuing him and striving to be like him. So that's baptism. Then the second thing that we'll do and we'll take today is communion. Now, where baptism is a one-time thing that you don't have to be baptized over and over again, communion is something that we do on a consistent basis, uh, unless there's a pandemic. Then we do it less often. Uh, but when you think about it, in our normal acts of life, this would be something that as a church, we would do probably ever six to eight weeks. Some churches do this weekly. Uh, there are many forms of communion that churches participate in, but it's something that we are constantly calling people to engage in and to observe and to do. 
And so we see in this how Christ has told his disciples at the Lord's Supper, and we'll talk about the Lord's Supper and the implementation of that in just a little while, but at the Lord's Supper on the night that Jesus was betrayed by Judas, was handed over to the Jewish authorities and the Roman authorities to be crucified, Jesus took communion. He took the first Lord's Supper. It was the Passover meal. And he changed some things within the Passover meal that we'll talk about later this morning to show how he is the fulfillment of the Passover. And in that, he told his disciples, as often as you do this, do it in remembrance of me. Which means to us then that Jesus was telling us, do this often, as often as you do, or as continually as you do this, do it and remember me. Remember what these things represent. Remember what they point to. And so throughout scripture, we see that God brings us to meals to show us what it looks like to have fellowship with him and communion with him and unity with him. And so I don't know about you, I enjoy eating. Anybody else like to eat? I think that's a good thing. We should eat probably multiple times a day. You should eat. I hope you are. Uh, But I love that God likes food and he likes to bring us around tables Tables in the Jewish faith represented unity. It was the most intimate thing that you could do with someone that you weren't married to was to share a meal with them, to sit at table together. And so in the middle of that invitation to come in and be intimate in this relationship with someone, God also puts tables in front of us and meals in front of us throughout scripture to say, I want to be in intimate fellowship with you. And so when you look at the Garden of Eden, when God created Adam and Eve in the very beginning, Genesis, if you go back and look at the wording of it, it says that God commanded them that they could eat of anything that they wanted in the garden. That's a pretty good command, right? His only limitation in that command was that they not eat of one tree in the center of the garden, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. He said, anything else in this garden you can eat and enjoy, go for it. Every fruit-giving tree, every uh, vine that produces, eat of these things. And so every meal that Adam and Eve ate was in complete unity and fellowship with God, that they were in right relationship with him. And then he would come in the evenings and walk in the garden with them in the cool of the day. So every meal that was shared before the fall was shared in union and in great fellowship with God. Then we see after the fall in the book of Exodus, when God confirmed his covenant with Moses And he was going to give the Ten Commandments, his law for the people to follow so that they knew what it meant to be in relationship with him. God implemented a meal. He does this with Moses. And I want you to see this this morning. He invites Moses and Aaron and 70 of the elders of Israel to Mount Sinai. Exodus chapter 24, verses 9 through 11 says, Moses and Aaron, Nadab and Abihu, and the 70 elders of Israel went up and they saw the God of Israel. Under his feet was something like a pavement made of lapis lazuli, as bright blue as the sky. But God did not raise his hand against these leaders of the Israelites. They saw God and they ate and drank. This is pretty amazing because God, we're informed in scripture that no one can see God and live. And yet in this moment, as God is going to to give his covenant to his people, his commandments to his people, the words that will lead them throughout their relationship with him. He invites Moses and Aaron and Nadab and Abihu and and the 70 elders. And he says, I want you to come to this mountain and I'm gonna reveal myself to you. And we're gonna eat and we're gonna drink. And so there's this union that takes place. 
It's in the next verse, in verse 12. It's after this meal that we're told that God gives the commandments on the stone tablets to Moses to give to his disciples or to give to the Israelites. And so we see this meal take place. By the time we get to the book of Deuteronomy, part of the law of God, part of the instructions of God for how the people would be in relationship with him. Deuteronomy says that God implemented a tithe for his people. That's one of our favorite things to talk about in the church, right? And so he says, I want you to bring your tithes to me. He says, I want you to bring the first of your fruits, the first of your cattle, the first of your sheep. I want you to bring your first 10% and I want you to present it to me. And now on some level, we might go, you know what? What in the world does God need with wheat and grain and cows and sheep? And the answer to that question is, God doesn't need any of those things. He is completely self-sufficient without any of those things. He does not need us to bring money to him and go, God, I know you're a little strapped for cash right now. I know there's a, a coin shortage going on. So here's my presentation to you. I want to make sure you're good. You're not, you're taken care of, right? Like God does not need those things brought of us. And in fact, what we see in Deuteronomy is that when God implements the tithe for his people, and he instructs them to bring their best to him, the 10% of their produce, their crops, their animals to God. You, I want you to see what happens the very next thing. Deuteronomy chapter 14, starting verse 22. He says, be sure to set aside a tenth of all that your fields produce each year and then eat the tithe of your grain, new wine and olive oil and the firstborn of your herds and the flocks in, your presen in the presence of the Lord your God at the place he will choose as a dwelling for his name so that you may learn to revere the Lord your God always. Use the silver to buy whatever you like, cattle, sheep, wine, or other fermented drink, or anything you wish. Then you and your household shall eat there in the presence of the Lord your God and rejoice. And so when God implements the tithe, he says, bring me the first of what you have. And then when the people present that to him, what does he say? Great, thanks, I'm gonna take all this and go back to my crib. No, he doesn't do that at all. He doesn't burn it. He goes, hey, I want you now to, to take what you've brought to me and I want you to eat it. Get what you need. If you brought coins, use those to buy what you need. God takes the tithe and he gives it right back to his people as a blessing to them. And he says, I want to have a meal with you. I want to share in fellowship with you. It's much the same as what we do with our tithes and our offerings to God. God doesn't take those things and then hoard them away from himself. When the church receives your tithes and your offerings, we put those things back into kingdom ministry, into kingdom work. We take what's given and we send it back out to bless in other ways. That's what God does through our tithes is he blesses our world through it. And so in Deuteronomy, they're invited to eat a meal with God. He says, this is how I want you to learn to know me, to revere me, to be in relationship with me. Bring your tithes and then eat of them, right? And so we see that. Then we get to the Passover meal. The Passover was an annual celebration of Israel's liberation from their bondage in Egypt. They've been slaves for hundreds of years, and then God sent his servant Moses to deliver them. And after Moses, and through the power of God, had nine plagues that had been poured out on, on Egypt, God said, Moses, there's one last plague and it's going to be a plague of death for the firstborn. And anyone in the land who on this night doesn't slaughter a lamb and put its blood on the door frames of the house, their child, their firstborn in the house will die. 
And so when we see this take place and we understand what's going on, that Moses tells the Israelites, slaughter a lamb, put the blood on the doorframe, and then go into your homes and eat the meal. Eat this first Passover. And so the people of Israel do that. And as a result, when the death angel comes, any door that has blood on it is spared. It's, they're passed over for the death sentence. And so we see Jesus then take this same idea. On the night that Jesus is going to be betrayed by Judas, handed over to the officials, and crucified by the Romans, they're at Passover. It's the annual celebration, the annual feast. God, in his perfect timing, worked everything out to put Jesus at this moment at Passover to share this last meal with his disciples. And Jesus does something that's pretty remarkable in this. He takes two of the elements of the meal and he reconstitutes it. He says, I want to take these two things and show you how what was from our past is now completely fulfilled in me in this moment. And so Jesus took bread and he took wine and he held them up before the disciples. And with the bread, he broke it. And he said, this bread is my body and it's given for you. And then he took a cup and he would pass it around or each individual disciple would have their own cup and they would drink this cup of, uh, of the, the fellowship meal, of the communion meal. But Jesus on this night said, this cup is my blood and it's poured out for you. And so Jesus takes these two elements and he was fulfilling the prophecies of what the elements represented, what they were meant to show, that a Messiah was coming. And Jesus says, now in me, they're fulfilled. And so Wayne Grudem in his book, Systematic Theology, writes this, the Old Testament sacrificial meal continually pointed to the fact that sins were not yet paid for because the sacrifices in them were repeated year after year. And because they looked forward to the Messiah who was to come and take away sin. The Lord's Supper, however, reminds us that Jesus' payment for our sins has already been accomplished so that we now eat in the Lord's presence with great rejoicing. Yet even the Lord's Supper looks forward to a more wonderful fellowship meal in God's presence in the future when the fellowship of Eden will be fully restored and there we will be given an even greater joy. Because those who eat in God's presence will be forgiven sinners, now confirmed in righteousness, never able to sin again. And so he's talking about this idea that in the Passover meal, Jesus fulfills everything that the old looked forward to. And in the Passover meal, the Lord's Supper communion, we now take this and enjoy it in a spiritual nourishment to look forward to a day when we'll be with Christ face to face once again. And that we'll celebrate in what Revelation calls the wedding feast of the Lamb. That there will be a day when we will be in communion with the Father and the Son and the Spirit, no longer not being able to see them, but being in their presence and enjoying fellowship with them. And so these meals throughout Scripture point to reality that God loves fellowship with his people. He invites us into that. And as we participate in communion today and as we talk through these things, I want you to see and know and understand how deep this idea goes of a meal, of fellowship with the Father and what it does in our lives. And so I want to do something this morning now 
to take and show what this looked like. Jesus, on the night that he was betrayed, would take the bread. And you can see on the bread, this is matzah, it's unleavened bread. On the night that the people of Israel fled from Egypt, God had told them, bake bread, but don't put yeast in it. Because you need to be able to take it out. It doesn't have time to rise. You're going to need to escape Egypt quickly and be on the run and out into the wilderness. And so this bread is unleavened. It has no yeast. And you can see on here the burn marks that look like stripes representing the body of Christ, that he would be beaten and whipped and scourged. And then if you could see inside of this, there are little holes all along the bread that are pierced. The bread's pierced, just like Jesus's body was to be pierced, that his hands and feet nailed to a cross, that a crown of thorns pushed into his skull, that a spear would pierce his side. And so Jesus, with the bread, would say to his disciples, I want you to break this. This is my body, and it's broken for you. And then he would take the cup, and he would pass it around, and he would say, this is my blood. The blood that Jesus would pour out on the cross is for us, so that we can know fully his sacrifice. The Bible says in the Old Testament that without the shedding of blood, there's no forgiveness of sins. In the Old Testament, it was animal sacrifices. The blood, God looked at the blood of the animal sacrifices, and he said that that was a good enough sacrifice. It was what he commanded at that point in time. But those were perpetual, continual, over and over again sacrifices. With Jesus, when his blood is poured out, it was the once and for all sacrifice that was made for our forgiveness so that we can have our sins washed clean. And so Jesus took the bread, he took the cup, he distributed it to his disciples, and he invited them to eat. And so this morning, I'm going to ask Cliff Ward to come and join me on stage, and we're going to talk a little bit more about the idea of what this celebration is and how it affects us and impacts us as Christians. Uh, Cliff is one of our elders here at the church. We're blessed to have him in leadership here with us. He is also a, uh, uh, has his doctorate in philosophy and theology uh, and has been a teacher for the last several years at both Tusculum University and Milligan. Thanks so much, Cliff. And uh, Tusculum is my alma mater. So Cliff gets the privilege of teaching there now and uh, representing. And if you're curious, as you're watching and looking up here at us right now, we did not call one another today and tell each other to wear the exact same shirt bought from the exact same store, probably on the exact same Easter. Uh, so uh, where teams have uniforms that they wear, this is our communion uniform. So uh, we get to be in the same shirt today. Hey, thanks so much for joining me. Yeah, you're man, and, and being a part Thanks of this. And uh, man, just grateful for your leadership with us and at the church. And uh, wanted to carry on this conversation a little bit uh, as we think about um, this meal and what it means. One thing I didn't say is that part of your real. Um, journey in your studies has been that you've, uh, you really look into first and second century early church and, and you've been highly sure. uh, educated in those things. And so he brings great perspective from what, uh, from what people have experienced in the church for centuries past. And so I wanted to just talk through some of those things. How do we see in scripture, the early church participating in communion? What did it mean to them? And how did they do that? Is, is what we're doing today Still similar to how they would have thought about and participated in communion then, um, but how did the early, ch excuse me, the early church do this? Yeah. Uh, well, thanks for letting me come. Uh, I'll just chat and see what comes out, I suppose. <laughs> um, I, I think the way that you did it was helpful in that I see that whatever 
com- whatever Holy Communion is, it is derived from Scripture, right? We, we need to know what Scripture says, but I think one of the things that we do is we get, a, we get a mind in what Christians were thinking as we look at those passages. You mentioned 1 Corinthians 11, which is what we normally go to, where Paul's talking about how we should uh, institute in our churches um, the Lord's Supper, um, built on what Jesus said at the uh, Last Supper. And so you could go to any of the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, or Luke. John does it a little differently. John has his bread of life discourse in John chapter 6, which is great, but doesn't really help us with this question. So I want to look at the Gospel of Luke, but if you had Matthew or Mark, you could do that as well. And let's just start with that passage that you mentioned, where Jesus is calling all of his disciples together And the apostles and Jesus uh, have the Last Supper. Jesus begins it. And I I want to notice exactly what it says in Luke chapter 22, verses 19 and 20, because there's a pattern here that I think is helpful for thinking through this. In Luke 22, 19 and 20, it says, And he took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it, and he gave it to them. Those four things are important, saying, This is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And likewise, the cup after they had eaten, saying, this cup that is poured out for you is the new covenant in my blood. And so we begin to see that pattern. So then when we get to 1 Corinthians 11, that's what Paul says, right? He says, I'm giving to you what I received from the Lord, that on the night uh, that he was betrayed, he took the bread and he blessed it and broke it and gave it to them, the same four things, right? Um, But Luke lets us in on maybe what's going on when Jesus is doing this fourfold action. So if you go back in Luke's gospel to the feeding of the 5,000 in Luke chapter 9, we get the same pattern. Luke chapter 9, verses 16 and 17. 5,000 men, not to mention the women and children, are coming to listen to Jesus preach. And the apostles say, well, we should send them away so that they would eat. And Jesus is like, yeah, that's important, but you give them something to eat, right? And they say, well, how can we do this? We just have two loaves of bread and and five fish. And so what did Jesus do? Luke chapter nine, verses 16 and 17. And taking the five loaves and two fish, he looked up to heaven and said a blessing over them. Then he broke the loaves and gave them to the disciples to set before the crowd. And this is key. And they all ate and were satisfied. This food that Jesus gave them satisfied them. This is what they needed to eat. And my favorite passage in all of Luke's gospel happens at the very end. Luke chapter 24, you've got the road to Emmaus, where after Jesus' resurrection, there's these two disciples that are going and they're, they're chatting and Jesus is there and they start saying, where were you, man? Did you not hear all of these things that were happening recently in Jerusalem? They, they have no idea it's Jesus. They have no idea it's Jesus. Right, right. Yeah, that's, that's a key detail, right? Yeah. They don't know that it's Jesus and that's why they're like, dude, what's, where have you been, really? Yeah. And Jesus is like, okay, let me tell you, right? <laughs> um, and so Luke chapter 24, verses 27 to 31, I want you to pick up on what happens for Jesus to finally be understood. Beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself, right? Um, very similar to what we do in a typical worship service. We come in, we sing scriptural songs, we pray scriptural prayers, we have the word of God open to us so that we can hear those words, Moses, the prophets, and the apostles, right? Um, And then they drew near to a village. 
He acted as if he was going farther, but they urged him strongly saying, stay with us because it's toward evening and the day is now far spent. So he went in to stay with them. Now notice this, when he was at table with them, they sat down to eat. When he was at table with them, he took the bread and he blessed and broke and gave it to them. And their eyes were opened and they recognized him and he vanished from their sight. They'd seen all the things that had happened in Jerusalem. They heard about this. They talked with their friends about it. They might've known somebody who was there, but it was in the eating of a meal where Jesus broke the bread that they recognized him and understood who he was. Now, I think that gives us kind of a pattern in scripture yeah. for what the Lord's Supper looks like, what Holy Communion should look like for us. But what I wanna suggest is that Christians we're already doing this in the generations that follow. We can look at their texts and they tell us that these are the kinds of things that are happening. So I just wanna give you a small piece from a man named Justin Martyr who lived in Rome in the second century. And he wrote uh, a few things, but the thing that I'm gonna be reading is an apology, a defense of Christianity. And Justin thought, I'm gonna send this to the emperor, Antoninus Pius. Now, whether the emperor ever, ever read it or not, we don't know. He probably thought, who's this guy, Justin, that's writing me, right? Nobody of any importance has the name Justin, right? I mean, that's, that's what he's thinking in the second century. <laughs> Um, to to but, all you Justins out there. Yeah, sorry about that. Uh, 21st century, <laughs> you more Justins, that. much more important. Second century, Justin in Rome. I mean, my name's Antonius Pius, right? I mean, come on. Um, so Justin sends this to him, and three chapters are particularly important in this apology for what we're talking about today. 65, 66, and 67. I'm not going to read all of them to you, but I want you to see what Justin says they do every single time they get together. And this is in the second century, right? So just a couple of generations after the apostles have passed. And Justin uh, says things like this. When we gather together on Sunday, there's brought to the minister of the brethren bread and a cup of wine mixed with water. And he takes them and he gives praise and thanksgiving and glory to the father of the universe through the name of the son and the Holy Spirit and offers thanks right? Do you, do you see those things that, that were happening already in scripture? He's doing this here uh, and offers these at considerable length for being counted worthy to receive these things from the hands of God. Then we'll go to chapter 66. And this food among us is now called Eucharistia or the, the blessed food, right? It's, it's been blessed by God. For not as, or sorry, I should say this, which no one is allowed to partake but the man who believes these things that we teach are true and who's been washed with the washing that is for the remission of sins and regeneration. That's baptism, right? They've experienced baptism. They believe these things are true and they're living as Christ has commanded them, right? That's what we do when we take the Lord's Supper. It's not just anyone that partakes of this. It's we who are Christians who believe these things are true, who have been baptized and who have entered into the church. We are the ones who take it. But listen to what he says. For this is not common bread and common drink, right? This isn't a loaf of bread from Food City and a root beer from Ingalls, right? That's not what's going on here. But in a like manner, as Jesus Christ, our Savior, was made flesh by the word of God and had both flesh and blood for our salvation, so likewise we have been taught that the food which is blessed by this prayer from God 
is the food by which our blood and our flesh are nourished because of its change. In Jesus's blessing of this meal, this bread and this wine that we have when we're gathered together, it's been changed. It's not just bread and wine anymore. The very presence of Jesus is here with us in this meal. And so I think seeing that pattern in scripture and understanding that from the very first centuries, this is what Christians have believed happens when we take this meal. And it's different than when I have a meal with my family at home and we pray for God's grace to be with us. It is, right? We don't want to deny that. But in this meal, something different's going on. Yeah, it's yeah. good. And, and so because we're a non-denominational church and there are people from different backgrounds who come into our fellowship, maybe you are a Catholic background or, or of some other denomination that's similar in, in practice and study, uh, we would not say, uh, in, in following up what Cliff just said, that there's a transubstantiation that takes place that uh, I believe the, the Catholic teaching would, would more lean to say that the, the bread becomes the body of Jesus, the wine becomes the blood of Jesus. And so I don't think we would go quite that far, but we would say that in the blood, in the uh, the wine, in the bread, uh, that Jesus exists and dwells in His person, so that as we take it, we're experiencing His presence and His His person in that. Uh, and so, just may, I hope that is right yeah, or brings yeah. some clarity. Well, I, I mean, we would just say that that God is present. Yeah in this meal as we take. in a way that he's not your Thanksgiving meal, right? right? right. I mean, he's there with you as Christians, yeah. right? I will never leave you or forsake you. We believe that. But in this, when Jesus says, this is my body and this is my blood, he means that in a very particular way that yeah. the turkey at Thanksgiving doesn't. Right, right. right. Absolutely. Man, good. Uh, so we talked about uh, meals in Scripture and how God has used those over time to bring us into fellowship and His people fellowship with Him through these different meals. Uh, in what way, when we participate in communion and take this meal, do we experience the blessing of God as Christians? How, how do we today, as we do this, what would we say, man, I received a blessing from God in participating in this. What does that kind of look like or how have we thought about that throughout church history? Yeah, yeah. So Christians would normally say uh, about Holy Communion that through this meal, we commune with God and our unity as God's people is expressed and even, uh, even affected in such a way, it's, it's brought about even more. So I would say that there are signs of unity that happen in this meal that doesn't happen in other places. And I, and I say that uh, uh, globally even, right? We, we go to 1 Corinthians 11 often when we talk about this, and rightly so, because that's where Paul says, uh, when you do this, do this in remembrance of me. But before that, in 1 Corinthians 10, he uses some very distinct language about this. And he says, the cup of blessing that we bless, is that not a participation or a fellowship or a communion in the blood of Christ? And the bread that we break, is it not a participation or fellowship or communion in the body of Christ? Because there's one bread, we who are many are one body for we partake of one bread, right? And so what I think Paul's getting at there is he's saying that, look, when we have this meal, this is the same meal because of God's presence that those in Knoxville and Texas and Afghanistan and China are having when they have this meal, right? 
There is one body of Christ. So it brings unity globally, but it also brings unity in our particular congregation. We can't forget that, that uh, there's some of us who might not have been brought together were it not for this place and our God, right? Uh, some of us that would come in here in an Alabama shirt wouldn't be caught dead in my house, right? No, I'm just teasing. I'd let you in. Uh, we could have a Thanksgiving meal, right? Um, but think about the other issues of disunity in our country and in our world. And yet this meal, this very meal brings Christians together, regardless of their political affiliation, regardless of their family upbringing, regardless of their choice of career, whatever it is, this brings us together because God has promised to be with us in this meal. So it's not just global unity. I think it's just in this room, looking around at the people that are brought together because we are here uh, partaking of this. So I think there's that. And I think it does that through the, the love that God brings about through this meal. As we remember his death and resurrection on our behalf, we can't but be filled with love for God with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength and love for others. Justin Martyr in that passage goes on to say that as soon as this meal's over, that's what brings people, especially those who are well-to-do, to give whatever they have and whatever they feel led to give. And then the ministers take it and they bestow it on those who have need, right? Yeah. So that whole thing you were talking about from Exodus, even in the second century, Christians were doing this because they had shared this meal and they were motivated to show love in that way. So there's, there's unity, there's love, and then I think God fills us with his grace, right? That's why we call it a sacrament. It's God giving us grace through this because that unity that we have with Christ at baptism is firmed and strengthened when we come to the Lord's Supper, when we come to Holy Communion. And that in and of itself would just firm and deepen our, our yeah. unity with each other. I yeah, think. that's yeah. great. Yeah, we, and we just finished this teaching series called Rock Solid Faith, where we talked about uh, how God changes us and transforms us to be in relationship with him, that we go from being alienated from Christ to being justified by him, that he saves us from our sins. And then he doesn't just save us, but he sanctifies us. He changes us throughout the, the process of our life to be like Christ. And then we're unified in Christ and, in, and with the people of Christ forever. And so those, those solid things that help us stand firm in our faith, this meal does that same thing. This is one of those meals that I believe helps us to look at life and when you know, maybe there's been patterns of sin in your life or maybe you felt like you're going through a really difficult time right now or there's just things that take you away from your focus and attention on Christ. When we come together and do more than just have a worship service but participate in this meal, it's a reminder of how solid our faith is that Christ has let his body be broken for us, that he has poured out his blood for us, that we can stand in confidence in our faith in Jesus to know who he is and what he's done on our behalf so that we may be with him forever and forever and forever and one day enjoy that sweet fellowship of, uh, of the wedding feast of the Lamb and be in his presence. Um, how, how else maybe would you think about how this meal helps us to just stand firm yeah. in our faith. Is there another component of that? Yeah, well, it, it definitely fills us with grace. We've talked about that. But it, but it also strengthens us for life, right? Yeah. I, I mean, it is such that Jesus said, we, we talked about Matthew, Mark, and Luke, yeah. but in John's gospel, I am the bread of life. If you don't eat me, you have no partic participation in this kingdom, yeah. right? And so it's, it's that important 
because God knows that it strengthens us for whatever we might face throughout the week when we come together and we do this. So it fills us with grace. It strengthens us. But I think it also gives us a longing for the world to come and for God's kingdom. I think the entire book of Revelation, I think is one big heavenly worship service. And it's only at the very end that we actually get to participate in person, right? But that's a big thing, right? We, we see now in a mirror dimly, but then we will see face to face. Jesus said, I won't drink of this again until I drink of it with you in my kingdom. And that's what we see at the end of Revelation yeah. that you mentioned. And I think taking Holy Communion gives us a longing for that to be reality here and now, yeah. right? Yeah. Um, and I don't think it was... was, was just Paul who thought that the Lord's Supper also had a proclamative yeah. uh, aspect. Even the earliest Christians knew that if, if, if an outsider could just come in and see what they did, the gospel would be proclaimed in the actions of their service, yeah. culminating in the taking of the Lord's Supper where the gospel is quite clear. This is my body broken for you. This is my blood shed for you. Do this in remembrance of me, for I have risen and now I'm with you. That in itself will preach, won't it? Yeah, right? absolutely. And they will do that. And they knew it very early on. We talked about Justin Martyr in the end of the second century. Ignatius of Antioch lived at the beginning of the second century. He was probably, tradition tells us, probably a disciple of John the Apostle himself. Mm-hmm. And Ignatius said this, and this will be the last thing I say because I could go on forever. Uh, <laughs> In Holy Communion, this, think, of, think about what outsiders would think of when they hear him from the pulpit saying this. In Holy Communion, we break the one bread that provides medicine of immortality, an antidote for our death, and the food that makes us to live forever with Jesus Christ. People would say, wow, these cats are different, mm-hmm. Right? And that's part of the purpose. It nourishes us. It strengthens us. It allows us to stand firm when battles come against us during the week. But we're reminded by God's grace every week that this is what we will get to do with him face to face forever and ever. That's good. I think about too in John's gospel when he tells them, uh, if you want to have a relationship with me, you have to eat my flesh and drink my blood. Like there are things that we as Christians, we say and we do that to the rest of the world just looks crazy. Uh, and it was no different with Jesus. I mean, when he made that statement, if you want to be a follower of mine, you eat my flesh and drink my blood. That's a weird statement, guys. Let's just be honest with one another about that. And Jesus, or we're actually told in the gospel that there were many who heard him say that, many of his disciples who turned around and left and walked away. And Jesus went to his 12 and said, are you going to leave me too? And they went, well, you have the words of life. Where else are we going to go? And it's not until later that they're having this last meal with Jesus that it makes sense what he's saying to them. He doesn't want people to walk up to him and take a bite out of his arm. He's saying, this is my body. This is my blood. So it's the culmination of his whole life is wrapped up in this meal that we now participate in and say to you today, as a follower of Christ, that we invite you to eat his flesh, to drink his blood, this bread broken, his body broken, this blood poured out, this wine, this juice poured out as a forgiveness of sin. And so, uh, so thank you for allowing us to, to kind of carry this conversation today. Here's what we're going to do as we carry into 
this part of the service. I'm going to talk to our online audience for just a moment. Uh, because of what's about to take place in our room, uh, you're not going to be able to see anything at all. And so we're going to dismiss our online viewers as we participate in communion here. That doesn't mean that we do not want you to participate in communion with us. What we've chosen to do today and would love to invite you to do uh, is to join us this afternoon. We're going to have a drive-through communion from 1230 to 130. A few of our elders, Cliff and I included, will be outside, and we're going to, uh, to be under our drive-through entry at the church. There's a covered entry there. You can drive up. We'll carry uh, the elements out to you on a tray, much like our good friends at Chick-fil-A are doing to keep us safe during this time. You can just pick up the elements that you need for whoever's in your car that is a believer in Christ, professes their faith in Jesus, and wants to participate in communion. You'll do that. We'll bless the, the elements with you, and then you'll drive off. So uh, for our online audience, thank you for being with us today. We invite you to be here between 1230 and 1.30 to participate in communion with us. We're dismissing you now and hope that you have a blessed day. We love you, and we hope to see you again next Sunday at 9 or 1045 a.m. So thanks for being with us today. Thanks so much for checking out our message today. We hope you are challenged and blessed by it. We want to invite you to come and worship with us in person if you live in the Tri-Cities area. We meet on Sunday mornings at 9 and 1045 a.m. at One Fellowship Point in Kingsport, Tennessee. You can also get more information about us from our website or our mobile app. Have a great day.